como 10 minutos. Okay. Nada más que eso y de ahí viene el, el, el sendero nuevamente de unos 3, 4 metros de ancho. Welcome to another edition of Strangers Abroad. This podcast is a series of conversations with the wonderful and weird people I met while backpacking throughout Latin America. These are the hitchhikers, the couch surfers, the expats, the thrill seekers, the mountain climbers, the volunteers, and society quitters. The people who, for one reason or another, made the decision to challenge themselves, to leave behind the comforts of home, venture out into the world to see what happens. Here we go. I arrived in Arab Kiba, Peru after a 16-hour bus ride through the desert. After four months of lush jungle, foliage, and tropics, I felt very out of place being surrounded by sand dunes, like I had suddenly woken up on an alien planet. Once the bus arrived in the city at seven in the morning, I got a cab and in broken Spanish, asked him to bring me to the address of my next and final hosts. This chocolate shop was my last destination. It had been my goal to work here ever since I had heard about it six months prior. And after nine countries and four months, I had made it. With relief, I knocked on the door of my new home and the sweetest little old woman answers who only spoke Spanish and asked me to call her Tia. She had wide, expressive eyes, large and glassy like mother of pearl marbles, which was akin to her soft voice and energy. I told her my name and she gestures me to come in. We walked together through a courtyard in the middle of their house with a large glass ceiling as the beaming desert sun gently filled the whole room. Tia grabbed my hand and led me to the backyard. As breakfast was served, With bowls of fresh fruit, popped quinoa and chia, people in the house began to wake. One after another, my Peruvian boss, Javier, his Australian girlfriend, Imi, and the other volunteer, Jen, from Canada, all shuffled around the kitchen making their breakfast and slowly joined me around the table. Bypassing proper introductions, they explained to me that the chocolate shop had a crazy benefit party the night before and that they were all still really hungover. The low energy of the room deflated my excitement to be there, and loneliness began to settle in my stomach with the quinoa and avocado. When they were finished, Jen took me upstairs to our room, and we started filling each other in on our histories and how we got there. Well, I have kind of a weird story, she said. As her energy began to boost, we started playing a conversational tennis match, hitting and switching between our shared commonalities to the point where we were both a little emotionally exhausted when it was over. We both had had our first travel experiences through study abroad exchanges and have been addicted to traveling ever since, making it a priority to find economical ways to fulfill our travel lust. Oh man, well, I mostly work on cruise ships throughout the year. It's what allows me to travel so frequently, and it's a whole other world when you leave land, she said with a shy smile. We began discovering we both used the excuse of travel to evade the new ambiguities of being adults. But the part that we connected on most was food. I had never met someone who could talk for hours solely on gastronomy, who not only wanted, 
but couldn't actually stay away from the topic. The majority of our time together was retelling tantalizing meals we missed from home. Like two shipwrecked sailors, satiating themselves with the memories of home-cooked feasts that they may never eat again. So one of the reasons I decided to pack up everything and travel was because back in the States, I thought I wanted to be a baker. And when that wasn't working out and I wasn't satisfied with that path, I just effed it and decided to travel. I generally thought I had lost my passion for food, something that had been my main focus and purpose for the past five years of my life. I felt it slip away leaving a void and not remembering why I was so enthralled in the first place. Jen, in conjunction with a few other ladies whom we'll talk about later, reignited that passion in ways I can never thank them for. We talked about what our parents cooked us, what we ate for holidays, birthday cakes, national desserts, regional cuisines, and insane cooking aspirations. We caused a hunger so deep, no amount of cake could fill it. I know in this podcast, I have used this cliche more than I should have, but this time I've truly found others who are cut from the same piece of pie. Every time I think of Jen, I begin craving chocolate. Here's her story. Do you like to introduce yourself? Okay, my name is Jennifer and I'm from Toronto, Canada. Awesome. Where are we right now? We're in our room. <laughs> well, let me back up. What did you study if you did study anything? I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Studio Art. Okay. And a minor in Art History. How did you go from art to ending up in Arequipa, Peru, which is a very awesome but kind of uncommon place? So I think it probably started when I went on exchange in my third year of university and I went to study in Sydney, Australia. It was a big leap to do that for the first time, but then I caught the travel bug and so I've tried to go everywhere and anywhere since then and South America was my sixth continent and I wanted to hit six continents by 25. Whoa! So, that's awesome! Yeah. That's a cool goal. Oh, I like that a lot. And so how are you able to travel? So frequently, like, how are you able to, you know, like, being relatively young, and how are you able to travel all over? First, I'm a selfish person, <laughs> and I do things for myself, so, and I'm very independent, so I just do what I want and detach myself from other people and other responsibilities. And then also always trying to find work abroad, and the key is to work while you travel, I think. So working totally. for a cruise line and working as an English teacher... And now doing work away cool. has always enabled me to save money while I'm traveling, which totally. not a lot of people can do. Yeah, that's totally... So you said, so you've done teaching, which a lot of people have mm -hmm. done. A lot of people go abroad. That's a really easy way for people to do, especially in Southeast Asia and Europe and Latin America and everything. But you said that you work on cruise ships. What do you do and what is that like? For a year and a half, I've been working for a cruise line as youth staff in the kids club. Cool. And I'm a seasonal staff member, so I just take contracts during the holidays and the peak periods mm -hmm. when they have high volume of children on board. Mm -hmm. And when does that usually? Christmas, spring break, and summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where have you been able to go by staying on ships? 
and working on them. I've done, I've sailed the entire coast of Australia and New Zealand, and then I've done Southeast Asia, and then Central America is a really popular itinerary, so I've done that a lot. Uh Mexico and the Caribbean. Everybody wants to cruise there, so. Uh Uh-huh. So what is your, like, what is an average length that you stay on these ships and kind of... For full-time staff, it's six to eight months, but for me, it can be anywhere from three days to four months. Okay. What's the longest you've done? Four months. Holy shit. What was that? Southeast Asia and Australia. Wow. Yeah, getting to Australia takes forever. That's a really interesting kind of community that is created on ships. You know, like how different of a world does it become once people are off land? It is entirely another world, and society works in different ways. And honestly, it's really hard to try to communicate and explain how different and bizarre it is unless you've been through it. Mm -hmm. Like, time passes differently on a ship. Mm -hmm. One day feels like three days, Mm -hmm. and you live, work, and play with the same people. You're one big family. Yeah. And people on cruise ships work so hard. I've never seen such hard workers in my life. They work 13 hours a day every day from the day they get on the ship to eight months later when they disembark. Oh my god. Yeah. That's really, that's a really intense. And so how much time for those people who are, um, who are doing it full time, like six to eight months out of the year, how much time do they get on land? Like how much time do they get to like kind of unwind and have their own time? Uh, usually one or two months. Could be extended to three. But, like, on, on in, land. in between, like... In between contracts. In between contracts. Yeah. But then when they're actually traveling, like, during that six months, it's just the same as everybody else, right? Like... It's, like, a six-month contract, you work every single day. Mm-hmm. Your hours will change depending on if it's a sea day or a port day. Dep- and depending on What's what your position difference? is. A okay. sea day, you're floating, you're sailing. A port day, you're in a port, people get off the ship. Mm-hmm. So generally, a port day, we like better because we have less work to do. Right. Um, but when they disembark the ship after six months, they get their their holiday at home. So usually right. one to two months, and then they right. come back to another ship. Right. Do you find that it's... um. Do you find the same kind of travel satisfaction by working on ships versus what you've done now where you've you've backpacked? You started where did you start in Ecuador or for this trip specifically? But like in all of your other like longer trips, do you find as much like travel satisfaction when you're able to like go out and backpack and do your own thing and rough it a little bit versus No. Yeah. No, on ships it's a great way to see a lot of different places in a short amount of time and to be paid for it. But, no, because I feel like I'm looking at these places through a window, Mm. and I can't really discover them. There's a few ports that I've been to where I feel like I've escaped the cruise bubble. It's like running away from the the ship. Yeah. Get as far away as you can in the amount of time you're allowed before you need to get back on board. Right. And it's only been a few times when I feel like I really escaped the cruise ship and discovered the place, but normally... Normally, no, it's um, when I move to a new country, so, like, moving here, I can really... Absolutely. Like, What were some it. of, what are, what have been some of your more memorable explorations while on a ship? Ho Chi Minh City mm-hmm. is one of the best port days I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Why? Uh, it's a long story. 
it just became a reckless adventure day. I went off by myself and uh-huh. took a chance and had a, a really amazing time with a local. Uh-huh. Other days, having an overnight in port helps because you can stay out longer. Cool. That's so, the top. Yeah. yeah. And my very first port ever it will always like be special, which was Grand Turk. Where is Turks that? and Caicos in the Caribbean. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So you're living on a boat with the same people over and over and over again, not only just your fellow co-workers, but also the people who are taking the cruise. So what does that relationship dynamic look like? Because you mentioned the hierarchy, the weird like dichotomy between like the family and the hierarchy between your crewmates, but what is that when it comes to interacting with customers or guests, um, whatever you call them? We are discouraged from interacting with guests and from creating relationships, no matter what, what kind of relationship, discouraged from uh-huh. doing that with passengers. Um, we are encouraged to to create relationships among crew because you're with the crew, you're right. away from your family and friends and, and home for so long that they really encourage um, that kind of thing. And I've seen really amazing like relationships, like bloom on ships like I know a Mexican that just married a Scottish engineer oh my god and one of my best friends is um Russian and her boyfriend is Filipino and I mean where else is this gonna happen totally um but working with kids obviously we're encouraged to um build a rapport with the parents and get along well with the kids and we can speak to them in passenger area but we're not encouraged to go out and seek, like, mm. social interaction with passengers. Gotcha. So what would happen if, were all of those uh, uh, international couples, were they all co-workers? Or did they, was it, like, a mix of, like, They're, people who were guests and people no, who were No, no, those were crew. Okay, I've never crew. seen successful relationships amongst a passenger and a crew member. Mm-hmm. It's really not acceptable. I see. What does land feel like? The rest of Jen's interview got ruined, so I was able to have a Skype conversation with her a few months after we both left Peru and have started different journeys. But the conversation flowed as if we were still lying in our twin beds in our tiny room before falling asleep. The friends you meet on the road are a special breed. They see you at your most uncomfortable, your most scrappy and sometimes desperate because of the extremeness of living life abroad. While we were living together, Jen got her backpack stolen and I got painfully sick. We experienced each other at more overwhelming points than not even our own mothers would have known how to handle. When you're abroad, you open yourself up to curveballs of the world, testing your resourcefulness and perseverance. You don't even know who you are in these situations or how you're going to respond. So, when you make friends who witness you at this simultaneously uh, euphoric and tumultuous point in your life, and they still like you afterwards, it is a bond like no other. These microwave moments weather your relationship due to experiencing each other in such extremes. Jen understands a part of me that not even my oldest friends know about. Since then, Jen has had a consciousness rising experience in Hawaii, which we will dedicate another episode to.
We discuss how traveling has shifted our identities and how we now choose to create relationships. Right. So what was it like to not only learn a completely new skill and fall in love with it, but live in a completely different culture on top of that? Especially Arequipa, which is like, I still dream about that place. It's just such a different city. It's just got such an old feeling to it. But there's a lot of new things that are happening there at the same time. So it's like this really, oh, it's so cool. So what was your experience at Arequipa? Well, I think that was a really unique experience for us because we were surrounded by an expat community. Um, made it really exciting and fun. And you're just surrounded by like people from all over the place that have come together in one, one city and are just up for a good time, up for exploring. And they're just kind of motivating each other and energizing each other and I always think when I'm super busy and like working at something I love but super busy with it I'm really happy um and we were always so busy there working six or seven days a week which I love it was an accessible city for us I loved being able to walk everywhere but but thinking back on it now there was a lot of things that after six months you're kind of fed up with like the whistling and the cat calls in the street I couldn't leave my house once yeah. without that happening and in a developing country some things don't work as efficient efficiently as you'd like or you might be used to and after a while it starts to become a little bit exhausting I like learning Spanish a lot and I love the I mean fruits and vegetables and just a different climate I like desert climate a lot I love what I got out of it, and I love how it makes you appreciate so much just, like, clean running water. Why choose to travel instead of just learning how to make chocolate in Toronto? Because I'm combining my two passions, travel and chocolate, and I like, I love to make chocolate because I love, really love to make people happy. I honestly do, and chocolate makes people happy. And so by traveling, I'm kind of satisfying my personal needs, and making chocolate, I'm using my artistic skill and it's just it's become this obsession there's so much to know about cacao there's so many different parts of the process that you can dive into and become part of and i just want to know all of it from start to finish and there's this this belt of cacao plantations cacao making climate around the world and i can just like hop here and there and slowly explore that whole ring right Uh, and I think it's an alternative way to work travel. Right. And that's definitely something that people and, oh, are, like, trying yeah. to combine right now is, is like, being location independent and being able to unite travel and their work. And, like, this is an amazing way to, like, unite those two things. I guess I can't imagine what I would be like now, and I would be very a very different person had I never started traveling. Just recently I went back to Kingston to our five-year homecoming at Queen's University. And while my old housemates seem to really reconnect a lot with their old selves and just really feel and remember and just reminisce, I have felt so disconnected from the campus and from our old house, and I was forgetting a lot of things. And I realized, and at first it was frustrating. I thought, like, oh, what's becoming of my memory? Like, what's... Am I really aging that fast? Like, what is going on? Why can they remember so much and feel so much for the space? Unlike myself. 
And then I rem- I realized it's that they've been living one life since then, and I think I've lived four since we were there. And there's just, I've known and seen and experienced so much that it's just, I'm trying to hold on to so many memories and it's becoming quite a heavy load. And I did, I was reminded of how I was back then when I was living there. And oh my God, I was so different and so immature. And just honestly, Jennifer now, as opposed to Jennifer five years ago, if they could meet each other, (laughs) just so different. Yeah. And much, very much for the better. Yeah, I feel that. What does that feel like to hang out with friends who have kind of chosen the very traditional path of going to university and then getting a job and settling in in a city or wherever, and you've gone off and you've seen so much at such a young age and in a very different way than most people go off and travel. You know, most people go to Italy for a week or, you know, Australia for two weeks and it's rarer to find people and it's rarer experiences to be doing long-term travel, to incorporate work with it. So what does that feel like when you're hanging out with people who who have gone down the traditional path? At first, you don't realize, oh yeah, the way I live is, is a bit rare. Like you and I and Amy and people that are just so used to living abroad and we spend our time with the same kind of people that when you come home to a place and you kind of put roots down for a little while um yeah these old friends and I think it's a bit frustrating and a little bit suffocating because I don't want to fall into their stride Hawaii was such a special spiritual time for me and I was surrounded by people that are so open and appreciative of what I do and supportive of what I do and they're doing similar or other crazy amazing different things um being in that environment was felt like exhilarating and then coming here it's a bit of a downer when you see all these nine to fives and i keep like i'll be like oh should i should i be doing that and then you start frantically thinking should am i doing the wrong thing should i be you know going back to school should i be doing what they do and then i i constantly have to pull myself out and remember the jennifer in hawaii no, you don't want that. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but it, it's, it's tough, though. So as for friends, and I know a lot of people in the city, which feels awesome, and it's really cool to know lots of different friend circles, but I'm just trying to spend most of my time with people that are supportive and open. True, honest friends, I, I don't know how, how to put it. There's a lot of people here that just don't get why I do what I do, and I just think, better not to surround myself with those people it's going to bring me down I have to stay stay around people that that um, bring me up I'm slowly figuring out how to do that man it's shattering it can be so shattering coming home because you really do kind of see how malleable humans are and in how different we can be in different situations and how we learn depending on the environment that we're placed in you know I'd love to see kind of how do I behave if I went back to Peru you know like would I cultivate more of the things that I might have lost between now and then I felt very different leaving and I was scared when I left that I would forget everything I had learned and so that's something else I'm always reminding myself of like when meditating or practicing yoga just reminding myself won't forget everything that you learned there just have to 
constantly remember it. Right. But I think that maybe it's not shattering as long as you can, like, pull yourself up and continue to grow from it when you come home. And as long as you're able to, like, I don't want to say burn, but really continue to grow on top of the old person that everybody remembers you as. And you have to kind of, like, constantly remind people, like, I'm not that person anymore. Like, I'm very different. It's tricky because people don't allow themselves to have such, like, consciously chosen opportunities to grow and to push themselves out of their comfort zone and to really challenge themselves. You know, I think people fall into comforts very quickly, which is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And I know that now I'm falling into comforts, but it is one, it's so inexplainable seeing how the other, how another corner of the world works and breaking yourself out of, out of your corner and then coming back to your corner and reincorporating it. It's just like, yeah, it's so hard to explain, but yeah. And and it's hard to do that. It's hard to, it's interesting to see how you adjust, readjust and culture shock, reverse culture shock. And how your friends adjust to the new you or to the slightly changed you. It's it's interesting. And, and like you said, going back to family can be shattering. But I do appreciate being near them again. Right. It, but it is tricky because you, f- I, at least I feel like being one of the few people kind of in my town, not so much in New York anymore, but in my town in upstate New York, you know, like not a lot of people do what I've done. And it's very difficult for them to connect and explain and a lot of the times I just kind of give this like summary of like "Eh, Mexico is amazing because they don't want to hear like they don't really care and that's okay like they don't have to care but like it's just something like they're not going to connect with me unless they've done something slightly similar even if it's just like taking a long a long week somewhere different there, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it does to humans, but it is just like, I truly believe that the world could be a better place if if everybody travels, you know? And we just notice that, like, we're not all that different from each other, but we do express all of our, like, fundamentals in very different ways depending on the resources around us. And it's just beautiful. It's heartbreaking. I'm, like, going to cry right now. <laughs> so to end it off, do you have a quote that kind of keeps you going? I love the quote, I haven't been everywhere, but it's on my list. I love that. Oh, I love that too. Our life in Arequipa was simple and wild and soft pink. The city is made of beautiful stones harvested from the surrounding volcanoes, which are so monumental and close to the city that they remind you every day of their magnitude and your minuteness. The community that Jen and I became a part of was everything I was looking for. After breaking up with my boyfriend in the beginning of the trip and traveling alone for such a long time, I was looking for a family. And I felt like my whole journey was leading me to these people and this place. Jen, in tandem with a few other ladies who are in the following episodes, provided me with such a sense of security at such a precarious time. Jen was one of the few I was able to become very close with. We woke each other up, baked together, inspired each other, brought food to the other when we were working late, exchanged small gifts, and helped each other get out of some sticky situations. Jen came to my rescue more than once, 
The most vivid was when I came back home at 4 a.m. after having too much fun with some British boys who happened to work for the mayor of London. And I realized that the house was locked. Not wanting to wake up Tia or Javi, I decided that maybe I would just stay outside, sit on the stoop, and just wait for the next three hours. And then a car pulls up. I thought the taxi driver was gonna harass me or worse, when Jen suddenly comes bounding out of it. Holy shit, she said, how long have you been here? I haven't been here any more than five minutes, I said. And so together, we rang the doorbell, and I just had this moment where I thought about how some sisters have a clairvoyance about accidentally wearing the same clothes or, or buying each other the same gift or cycling together. And I think that Jen and I were tapping into that. Jen and I have still remained close. And since we last spoke, she has docked onto land and continued the chocolate path, currently killing it at one of the top chocolate shops in Toronto. But I know that she's still got some plane tickets burning in her pocket. In our next episode, we meet a woman who firmly believes that cake is part of a well-balanced meal, and I won't argue with her on that one. Rachel from Milano attempts to redefine the Italian woman, headstrong, driven by her gut, and intentionally pushes the boundaries of her country's antique perceptions of gender roles. I don't understand why women ask me, oh, that's amazing, you have done so many things. Um, do you have a boyfriend? Next time on Strangers Abroad. <laughs>